Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Peter Fikowski will join us to discuss climate restoration. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, changes to the global environment and our climate continue to threaten the human race. Is it possible to restore our climate? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Peter Fikowski. Mr. Fikowski is an MIT-educated physicist, engineer, philanthropist, and social innovator. He's worked at NASA and the Fairchild Schlumberg Artificial Intelligence Lab in Palo Alto, taught at MIT, and developed his own machine vision company, Automated Visual Inspections. He's on the board of Solar Capix, a fintech company dedicated to tripling the rate of investments in solar projects. He has penned the new book, Climate Restoration, The Only Future That Will Sustain the Human Race, along with co-author Carol Douglas. And he joins us today to discuss this very important topic for a general audience. Mr. Fikowski, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. It's great to be here and look forward to inspiring your audience. It's a very important topic, a very important issue. Interested in this and decided to write the book. Oh, yeah. I'm a, trained as a physicist. I studied astrophysics. I was not headed in this direction at all. And I got interested because I did a seminar 20 years ago, and I had decided to write a mission statement. And it's been on my wall 20 years. It says, my mission is to leave a world that we're proud of to our children. And in my professional career, I tend to succeed. And so I keep on using that to guide me. I spent 25 years advocating for poverty issues. And we turned around, got it, children around the world vaccinated regularly. We turned around AIDS epidemic. Not we didn't personally, but we got the funding and the act- activation of that. By 2010, it was clear we needed to deal with climate somehow. That's why I dove in. When I was an undergraduate at MIT, I looked at the numbers in 1975. And I said, well, we have submarines, we have spacecraft, we know how to get CO2 out of the air. It's going to be a big engineering project around the turn of the century. And that never happened. (laughs) So that's how I got involved and decided, let's make this thing happen. How do we do it? And that's the big question, is it? Putting all those plans in place, that's the big trick. The big trick was actually a bishop at the climate conference had a dinner. And he convinced me and many others that climate is a moral issue, not a science issue. And for an MIT physicist, that was two glasses of wine before I I understood that. But the light went on. If it's about humanity, then we know the goal. The trick is to know who is it for. It's for future generations. And what do they want? Well, of course, future generations would prefer to have the same climate that our species and our civilization and agriculture developed for, which is, well, there's lots of ways of calling it. I'll call it pre-industrial. 
that I might end up calling it 280 parts per million of CO2. I might call it the Holocene. I'm just warning your listeners if I slip into techno-speak. All that means pre-industrial. And so knowing what the goal is, it became much easier because as a physicist, I and others have calculated that it's a trillion tons of CO2. We look at the history of our planet, and I think most listeners here are familiar with ice ages. And the last ice age was just 12,000 years ago, not that long ago. Imagine a mile of ice over New York City. To get from a previous period of on our planet, which had climate like we had until 25 years ago, nature removed a trillion tons of CO2 to get into that ice age. And then that CO2 came back out, in fact, out of the ocean, which went, took the planet from that ice age back into the Holocene the pre-industrial climate. As you can be begin to see, you once you know where you want to go and for whom, we say, well, we need to duplicate what nature did 12,000 or actually uh, 70,000 years ago. It's pretty well known how nature took out that trillion tons of CO2. I think it won't surprise you or the, your, the audience. It's mostly photosynthesis. Now, when we think of that, we think of trees, of course, there's the Trillion Trees Initiative and all these things. In fact, it's photosynthesis in the ocean. Remember, the ocean is 80% of our, 75, 80% of our planet. And what's great about the ocean is when it turns green, fish eat some of the algae, the greenest algae, and the, the dead algae and dead plants and feces fall to the deep ocean. A little it reaches the bottom, but mostly in, into the deep ocean. There's not enough oxygen for it to rot, and it stays there for 50, 100,000 years. Then at the end of the ice age, the ocean currents change, oxygen gets in there, and the carbon then decays, puts out CO2, and our planet goes back into a warm period. But the point is, knowing what we want and knowing that nature has done it before makes it much easier. We, we talk about the oceans. As you point out, there are these natural cycles. Where do we fit in? You know? Yeah, how do we do that? So you and the listeners are probably wondering, wait a minute, if it's that easy, why haven't I heard about it? And it took until 1990, just 30 some years ago, for scientists to figure out that process that the oceans use to sequester the trillion tons of CO2, which we need to and will sequester in the ocean. And it's minute amounts of iron. I think most people know that iron is a required nutrient for both animals and plants. If you have a garden, I'm sure you've, you may have gone to a garden center and they say, oh, you need to add a little bit of iron for that plant. But the amount is phenomenally low. It's one part per million. And that's why it took until 1985 and 1990 to learn that. Once they learned it, then they saw that what can be done is distribute iron ore dust, essentially mimicking how nature does it. Nature does dust storms, which distributes the iron across and other nutrients, but primarily it's iron across the ocean or sometimes volcanoes. And so a number of scientists figured out that they could do the same thing, just distribute iron dust. It, it took you know, years and years and years of testing in an eddy in the ocean where it contains it long enough to build up the healthy ecosystem and in the ocean, in that ocean eddy. And it turns bright green. It goes from blue. Now, we love blue ocean. It's beautiful. 
but it's not green. We need green ocean to photosynthesize. So it turns out that about 100 tons of iron was enough to remove about 80 million tons of CO2. That's what the theory said would happen, and that's what, what seems to have happened. The data got destroyed. So other than satellite images showing this bright green algae growth, and then the Gulf of Alaska 10 years ago. And then um, if you look at the fishing records for Alaska and Canada, you'll discover in the iron test was done in 2012. In 2013, there was phenomenal growth of, of salmon, about four and a half times more than usual, more than expected, because the salmon had a lot of food to eat. And the point there is, A, it works, but and B, by using part of the income from the fishing industry, that would pay, that pays for doing the iron dust distribution. So that's the main method. There are several others. It's always good to follow Mother Nature. I'm a physicist. I wasn't crazy about nature. But when all was said and done, I discovered that the four methods that I write about in my book, climate restoration, the only future that will sustain the human race. The big four, I call them, they're all totally nature-based. They're exactly what nature does to get carbon out of the atmosphere and to restore, get methane out of the atmosphere. And they all happen to be profitable. And so you don't have to have a public approved government spending for people who will be alive in another century. The government wants to spend money on current citizens, but individuals and businesses will often spend money for future uh, people. So the iron fertilization in the ocean is the main one. And as I said, it's what nature does. Just last week, I was looking at the history of CO2 in our atmosphere. And I'm I'm 66. If uh, your older audience, if you were alive in 1991, remember the gray skies we had after the volcano in in Mount Pinatubo in Indonesia. And there was so much dust in that volcano, it actually fertilized the ocean, allowed the, the plankton to grow, and it canceled out two and a half years of CO2 emissions after that. People weren't looking for it. People haven't really seen that. But any of your audience can download the Keeling curve and see it. So the good news is we now have a clear goal. And it's similar to when Kennedy said we're going to land a man on the moon by the end of the decade. You know, you either do or you don't. <laughs> and uh, it, made it made it very clear what technologies needed to be developed. So restoring CO2 to levels that humans have survived long-term and doing that by the year 2050 is our goal. It's our moonshot goal. It turns out we have the technology to do it. We have the finance to do it. And very rapidly, as my book and others are, other discussions are growing, we're getting the political will to do it. It's brand new. Wouldn't businesses continue to release CO2 if you have a method to suck it all back out? Well, yes and no. That's a common concern. And businesses sell what what customers want to buy. And when it comes to cars, if you've ever driven or ridden in an electric car, almost everyone I know swears they'll never uh, buy a gas car again, especially with gas prices the way they are now. And that's true overall. So electrical utilities are discovering that it's a lot cheaper for them to use wind and solar because 
they don't have to worry about wars in the Middle East and the price of natural gas going up and down and making it unpredictable, their profits, and they're just cheaper. It takes 20 years to build all that infrastructure, which they're doing. So 75% of all new utility construction is now clean energy, and that's going up uh, 5% of the year. My point is, we're going to switch over to clean energy entirely in 20 years, maybe 30, but probably 20, no matter what happens. So you don't have to worry about the fact that we're curing the climate about encouraging people to continue poisoning their kids with diesel fumes from school buses. That era is over no matter what. And that's, of course, very good news. Oftentimes what's run up against is classic tragedy of the commons. Getting that to happen is politically problematic, globally problematic. How do we overcome those larger structural issues to getting some of these solutions in place? Yeah, and that's why I'm very happy to be on your show, is how do we get these things to happen? Is you focus people's attention. A new movie comes out and they have lots of ads. You're attending, you're paying attention to that movie. And the first chance you get, if you're like me, you go out and watch the movie. We want people's attention to be on restoring the climate. Up until now, people's attention has been on the fearful side of, oh, we're going into a climate disaster. And I I grew up on the East Coast. And my driver's ed instructor told me, Peter, when you get into a skid, like on the snow, don't look at the tree you want to avoid. Look down the road because your car is going to go where you're looking. And the public and the government has been looking at the tree that we want to avoid, the climate disaster that we want to avoid, and we're headed straight there. What we need is your audience to talk about. You know, Buying the book is a good start, even if you don't read the book, and it's a great book. Just the fact that people are buying it and reading it tells the government that, oh, the public really wants the climate that humans have survived in the past because all the attention is on avoiding the disaster. And that's where we're headed by changing the public's focus on restoring the climate. We'll go there and this industry will be happy to invest the money to go there. I heard yesterday the CEO of one of the companies in the big four was over here. I was signing a book for him. And he said, Peter, I was planning to raise $20 million, maybe 40 in this next round to build some new factories for synthetic limestone. And if I have time, I'll mention that. He said, but the interest has skyrocketed and they've raised $75 million for us when I thought it was going to be 20 or 40. So the attention is focusing on restoring the climate. It's very exciting. And your audience can contribute by talking about it. They can go to the Foundation for Climate Restoration, F4CR.org. They have local groups, and they teach people how to write letters to the editor, talk to your government to promote some of the actions that will encourage these things. And so you can really put the public focus on restoring the climate that we want to give our kids. People taking a look at the book, would you like them to take home overall from your book, Climate Restoration? Yeah, the, the first is that we all want to restore the climate, you know, left and right. Second is we can do it. We have the technology and the finance to do it. And finally, what it takes is for most people is to, you know, for citizens, is to tell the government, tell the newspapers we want to restore the climate. 
And if you're an investor, you can read the book and find places you can invest. If you're a professor or a teacher, you can find resources for teaching about it to, to your students or, and also financing some of the science, of course, is although we have the technologies, it's always good to advance those uh, and make them more effective. How do you feel about the future? Are you optimistic that we can turn this around? I'm totally optimistic. At first, I thought that there was opposition because there has been opposition. Again, the reason that Gulf of Alaska test 10 years ago has not been heard about was there was accidental opposition. The environmentalists thought that we were supposed to reduce emissions. And I'm sure your audience thinks, of course, we're supposed to reduce emissions. Well, actually, we need to restore the climate, which means restore the level of CO2. And that, and that nuance was lost and caused havoc. So now that that is getting clear, I've gotten an invitation from the United Nations in the last couple of weeks. And as I said, the companies who are doing this are getting investment rapidly. So I'm totally optimistic that we're going to both restore the climate and in the book, I talk about restoring a sustainable population. You know, most of your audience have probably heard that our global population, they don't discuss this often. In fact, it's 10 times the very stable level we had 250 years ago. It was really stable for 10,000 years since the last ice age. And that's the level that our planet learned it can uh, support. And we broke the feedback mechanism. We have 10 times higher but it turns out we can get right back down to a sustainable population by the end of the century. And it's easy and it's getting towards the end of our period. So I'll let people read about it in the book. We were just talking with Mr. Peter Fakowski, his new book, Climate Restoration, The Only Future That Will Sustain the Human Race. Mr. Fakowski, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I thank you, your audience, for your interest and your action. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.